The Apostle Paul writes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, and, all, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he, was ra that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. The grass withers and the flowers fade but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Pastor Scott Luck. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you. We're really glad that you're here on the most important day in human history, Easter Sunday. Uh, I want to just encourage you, next Sunday we are beginning a new series called The Lion Roars. It's a verse-by-verse -verse study through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be spending really the next couple of years in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to break it up just a little bit, but uh, that's where we're going to be focusing. And, and uh, what we really see in the Gospel of Mark is the coming of the kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see his authority over the demonic realm. We see his authority over diseases. Uh, we see his authority over nature. We see uh, his authority to bring salvation and redemption to all who believe in him. So that's what this series is really all about. So I want to encourage you to join us uh, next Sunday. Everybody get it? Very good. Now let me just begin by asking, why, why are you a Christian? Why in the world would anybody be a Christian? You know, if you're not asking that question, I guarantee your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, your neighbors are asking that question. Why in the world would you want to be a Christian living in China today? You know, in China, if they find out you're a Christian, they're going to go and arrest you and throw you in prison. Why in the world would you be a Christian in Iran? Because if they find out you're a Christian there, they're going to, they're going to arrest you and publicly execute you right in front of everybody. If you were to ask millennials or Generation Z or iGens, you know, what, what do you think about becoming a Christian? 
the vast majority of them would say, you know, Christianity is so culturally regressive. Their morality is so yesterday. Times have changed and morality needs to change. And then others would even say, you know, Christians are just so arrogant and narrow-minded to believe that Jesus is the only true way to God. And so that's, that's the response of, of so many today. For, for other people, it's a lot more personal than that. Some people would say, you know, my dad was in church every single Sunday, read the Bible every single day, and yet he was the angriest person I had ever met. And he took that anger out on us every day. And they would say something like, I'm still in counseling to this day because of the home I grew up in. Why in the world would anybody want to be a Christian? You know, there was a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Francis Schaeffer who really came to the same conclusion. He was a pastor and he didn't want to be a Christian anymore. Can you imagine that? He was so frustrated. He was so discouraged and disappointed, really mainly more than anything else, with other pastors that he saw. Because they were doing such a great job of preaching grace and mercy, yet they were so critical and self-righteous in their relationships with other pastors. He abandoned the faith and he went on the search for truth. He began experimenting with all kinds of religions. He began, he began studying philosophy, the great philosophers of the world. And he went back to the Bible to reread it with fresh eyes and new questions. And you know what his conclusion was after all of that searching? His conclusion was this, Christianity is true. That's where he landed. He became a Christian because it's true. And that's really the only reason why you would want to be a Christian, right? C.S. Lewis was, was an atheist. Uh, he wasn't a particularly happy atheist. Uh, he, he used to say that he ranted and raved against God for not existing for years and years and years. And uh, Lewis's friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, who's the author of The Lord of the Rings, convinced him that the story of Jesus is the only true story. And it's the story upon which all stories exist and rest. And Lewis himself said there's really only one reason to be a Christian, and that is because it's true. And so there's really uh, no other reason to be a Christian. You don't, you don't need to be a Christian because your parents are Christians. You don't need to be a Christian because you're afraid of death. You don't need to be a Christian because life is hard and maybe you find some solace and comfort and, you know, and hope in the scriptures. That's not a really a good reason to be a Christian. You don't need to be a Christian because you, know, you think God can help you make your dreams all come true. There's only one reason to be a Christian, and that is this, because it's true. And so the passage we read just a moment ago reminds us that there's one truth, there's there's one linchpin upon which all of Christianity hinges. And that one truth, that one linchpin is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what the Apostle Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15 is that if there is no resurrection, then there is no Christianity, period. Now the problem was, his challenge was the Corinthian Christians. And man, were they challenging that church was an absolute mess. And so the big challenge that the Apostle Paul had is the, early, the earliest Christians were, were Jewish, and so the Jewish people believed in bodily resurrection. But as the gospel spread to the Mediterranean world, as it spread to, to the Greeks and to the Gentiles, the Greeks and Gentiles 
for the most part, really didn't believe in bodily resurrection. They believed in eternal life, but they, but they didn't really believe that the body was going to be resurrected from, from the dead. They believed that your body was evil, that it was the storehouse of evil, that, it was, it was, that the flesh was corrupt. And so they believed that when you died, the, the flesh was, was cast off in the death process and you were set free. And uh, you were liberated from the evilness of the body. And so, and so the Gentiles, when they would hear the message of the gospel, that Jesus died and that he rose, they, they really struggled with it because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. And so the Apostle Paul is saying if, if Jesus was not resurrected bodily, then there is no Christianity. And so he spends this entire chapter talking about the importance of the resurrection and his bottom line is this if Christ has not been raised then then our faith is worthless and our faith is futile Tim Keller is was a pastor in in New York City and part of his congregation in his ministry was was really reaching out and and sharing the gospel with people who were very intelligent people scientists secular people skeptics and so he'd spend a lot of time sharing the truth of the gospel with with these folks and so he he shared that that there's this one defeater line that they would always play this one trump card that they would they would always play in any discussion about the possibility of becoming a christian they would just kind of lay this this argument down and and it would just kind of suck the oxygen out of the room just stop the argument immediately and so the the, the, the feeder line was this. They would always say, we can't be Christians because we believe in evolution. And so Tim Keller responded to that by, by simply saying, well, what part of evolution rules out the resurrection? Like, how does, how does evolution disprove the resurrection? And they had no answer to that. They were absolutely stumped. They said, well, I, they, I, there's no part that disproves the resurrection. And what Keller would say is this, you have to come to a decision about whether or not Jesus was resurrected. Because if he wasn't resurrected from the grave, it doesn't matter what Genesis says about creation. But if he was resurrected, then nothing else matters, and you've got to go back and, and re-examine your assumptions, especially the assumptions about the origins of the earth. Now, what was he saying? He was just simply saying this. Everything hinges on the resurrection. That is the ball game right there. And so why would you be a Christian? Why would you be a Christian in 2022? Because it's true. That's why. And so what I want to do this morning is I, I just want to take a few minutes and just share with you really three truths about the resurrection just laid out from 1 Corinthians 15. These come right from the Apostle Paul. These are part of his argument that he is making about the importance of this day. This is the most important day in human history. There's not a day that even comes in second place that's even close to this. It's so game-changing. So three truths about the resurrection. Let me share them with you. Number one, the resurrection is the gospel. The resurrection is gospel. Let me show you what I mean by this. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses, verses 1 and 2. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you in which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, so it's fascinating in this chapter where he's talking about the resurrection, he begins by talking about the gospel. And his point here is this, that the gospel and the resurrection are inseparably linked. You can't separate them. 
And so if you start talking about resurrection, you've got to start with the gospel. You start talking about the gospel, you're going to always end up talking about the resurrection. It's just they're inseparably linked. But that's kind of a word that we use a lot in church, right? Gospel, but we're not always clear. Maybe we haven't been to church that much. Maybe we're new to scripture. What, is, what in the world does gospel mean? Well, I think for a lot of us, you know, we would say, well, it means good news. But I think we, we often miss the force or the nuance of that, right? Like, so, so good news would be you wake up in the morning and you are starving and you just, you just are craving the biggest bowl of Fruit Loops you could ever eat. You know what I'm saying? And so you're just thinking about it. You can't get your mind off of it. So you go, you go into the kitchen, you get a five-gallon bowl of something, and, you know, and then you pour all those three boxes of Fruit Loops in there. You're so excited. You got this big spoon. You go over to the refrigerator and you open the door and there's no milk. And you just lament. You're just like, oh, you're just in sorrow because, because your wife forgot, your husband forgot, whatever, forgot the milk. And then two minutes later, as you're trying to pick yourself up out of a deep depression, you know, your, your spouse walks in and says, honey, I, I noticed we didn't have any milk, so I ran out today to get you some milk. Now, what is that? That is really good news, right? Can I get an amen to that? You're like so excited. You're smiling. But it's really not to the level of gospel. It's not to that point. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's good news, but it's not fire the cannons, you know, run around the block throwing confetti, you know, calling up your kids singing hallelujah good news. It, it's good news, but it's not gospel. Because you see, the gospel doesn't just mean pleasant news or nice news or, you know, fortunate news. What the gospel means is epic news, earth-shattering news. Something has changed, and it's big. It is huge. It is big news. Everybody is talking about it because it is life-changing. It is earth-shattering. That's the kind of news that we're talking about. It would be like, it would be somewhat like if all of us got notifications on our phone, like right now at the same time that Vladimir Putin had been arrested, the Russians were withdrawing out of Ukraine and immediately going to start rebuilding and restoring and reconciling with the Ukrainian people. That would be earth-shattering, game-changing news. But even that pales into comparison to the reality of Easter. And that's what the Apostle Paul tries to explain in verse 3. He says, for I delivered to you what is, what is of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day uh, in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to the 500, he appeared to the you know, rest of the apostles, and he appeared to me, the apostle Paul goes on to say. So in other words, what he's saying is something happened in space and time, something historical, something real, something non-political, right? Something as real as rain happened, and it was a game changer. And here's, here's really the point. The point is this that what separates Christianity from all the religions of the world is the gospel. The gospel is the only faith, or Christianity is the only faith based on gospel. It's the only one. Now think about this with me, church. Every other religion, I mean, you pick it. Whatever religion you want to pick, just go with it. Every other religion, some other guru, some other shaman, some other holy man, some other teacher produced a set of teachings they produced a set of opinions about how you should live and theirs is an instruction about what you should do it's not a it's not a declaration of what has happened it is a 
It is an instruction on what you should do. And so if you follow this teaching or you follow these principles, then, then, then it'll usher you into karma or enlightenment or nirvana or paradise or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever the ultimate goal is. Think about it from an Islamic perspective. Think about the five pillars of Islam. The five pillars of Islam is you, you have to de- declare your faith in Allah, right? And then you pray and then you fast and then you give and then you pilgrimage to Mecca. And even if you do that perfectly, you don't have an assurance that you've done enough. You're just kind of hoping in insecurity, right? That you've, you've measured up, you've hit the mark. And Buddhism is, you know, really kind of expands it. They, they don't have five, they have an eightfold path. Look at this, you know, you have to kind of observe the eightfold path of Buddhism. And so the whole principle is this, that if you follow the founder's principles and rules and regulations, then, then you can hit kind of uh, pay dirt or the desired goal. But church, listen to me, that's not Christianity. That's not what Christianity says. Christianity is not what we do for God. It is, it is what God has done for us. Gospel is the announcement that something has been done for us, that something has been done for us in our place, in our stead. It's the announcement that God has taken the initiative, that God has moved, that God has worked, and that we have access to his presence and to eternal life through the work of Christ. That is gospel. And so Christianity doesn't doesn't give us another religious teacher. Jesus didn't primarily come to teach us. He came to save us. That's why at Christmas we celebrate the words of the angel, you know, for for unto you a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. It didn't say teacher so that we could do more stuff as if our biggest problem was a lack of education. No, we celebrate the coming of a Savior because he rescued us. That is is the gospel. And it's it's fascinating, church, because even even. Bible preaching churches can miss this. You know, I heard about a, a lady who teaches in the children's ministry in her church, not this church, uh, but she volunteers with the kids and she, she loves teaching them, but they handed her the curriculum and, you know, they have the curriculum nice and organized and in a box, you know, they had, they had the kind of the point of the lesson. And, uh, and so she, she read the point of the lesson. This is what it said, to be a Christian to, to go to heaven, you, you must accept Jesus and you must obey everything God tells you to obey. Now that may sound real wholesome, but that's not the gospel. That is colossal bad news. You know why? Because no one can obey everything God tells us to obey. The message of the gospel is that Jesus came and lived the life we are supposed to live, obeying the law perfectly. He was the only one. And he obeyed it perfectly for us. And so the Apostle Paul says, I have, I have gospel. And it changes everything. It's the announcement of that there is game-changing news to be shared. Now, why in the world should we believe that Jesus, that Jesus died, that he was buried, he was resurrected? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us two really good reasons for this. You see the first one in verse 5. He, he says it. He says that this way, he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. So really the first reason why we should believe the gospel is because there are eyewitnesses. The first reason why we should believe in the resurrection is the apostle Paul says, look, he appeared. He showed himself to Cephas, to the 12, to 500. And, and it's basically what Paul is saying here. Is, if you don't believe me, just go talk to them. Because there were enough of them that saw him. Just ring them up. Go ask them. Go talk to them and you'll see. Simon Greeley was the, the president of Harvard Law School. And uh, he set out to disprove Christianity, to disprove the resurrection. And uh, he concluded after a thorough study of the evidence of the resurrection that it was true. And he committed his life to Christ. His conclusion was that the resurrection is a historical, verifiable event. And he gave his life to Christ. Now, church... Why, why do we get this idea that Christianity is about our feelings? Where, where do we get this idea that truth is about our feelings? Well, you know, I know you feel like Christianity is true. I, I just feel like it's not true. And, you know, I have my truth and you have your truth. And, and, so, and so the thing is, is really Christianity is, is not about my personal private ideas. It, it's not about my feelings. It, it's, about, it's about facts, right? We, 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 don't, we don't treat other facts that way. I mean, nobody comes up to you and says, you know, I just feel like Neil Armstrong didn't land on the moon. Nobody would say that. Nobody would come up to you and say, I, I don't feel like 9-11 really happened. You're like, are you kidding me? I've been to New York. I've seen the hole in the ground where the World Trade Center was. And, and so... And so the resurrection is, is not a set of beliefs that people just kind of privately hold and, you know, and, and then, then some people don't hold them and it's all about just kind of how you feel. We're, we're talking about history. We're talking about something invaded space and time and it was a game changer. And there were eyewitnesses of this game changing event. The second reason I think we can believe in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is because, because of the evidence of changed lives. Wherever Jesus has been preached, lives have been changed. Every continent, every time period, wherever he's been preached, lives are changed. And particularly the Apostle Paul. I mean, you just think about his story. You think about the fact that, that Paul hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated Gentiles. And then you fast forward in his life, and he's preaching Christ, he's planting churches, and he's ministering to Gentiles. What in the world happened? He met the risen Christ. The power of the resurrection changed his life. It changes everything. It's an earthquake that turns your life completely upside down. This is why the Apostle Paul says in verses 8, 9, and 10, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I'm the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God because of my past but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain you know what the apostle Paul is saying is it is it is the power of God that's changed my life and if there's anything good in me it's only by the grace of God that's what he's saying 
Church, listen to me. There have been millions of people set free from addictions to pornography, alcohol, and drugs. You know why? Because of the power of the resurrection. When nothing else could set them free, it was the power of the resurrection that could do it. I, I think about the reality of marriages being on the verge of divorce and, and brokenness. And so many marriages changed because of the power of the resurrection to come in and reconcile and restore love. I, I think about so many angry people who have been made sweet by the work of God's grace in their heart. In a world that's broken, divided, angry, and full of rage, I think the gospel is the answer. And so, why does the resurrection have so much power to be able to do that? Because it's true. So the resurrection is gospel. Number two, the resurrection is reconciliation. Jesus came to deal with our greatest problem. You know what our greatest problem is? And some of you are like, well, my greatest problem is I can't pay all my bills or I don't really like my spouse. I don't, my kids are incorrigible. I don't like my boss. Those are problems, but it's not the biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin. That's our biggest problem. That's a word we don't like to use anymore. It's not in our public discourse anymore. Have you guys noticed that? We, we don't have a... We don't really have a category for where we would use the word sin anymore. It's kind of like the elephant that's sitting in the world today. And so sin, as you kind of think about what it means, it's, it's really where a human being says, I want to be God. I want to take the place of God. And uh, that's what the enemy of our souls offered to our very first parents, Adam and Eve, and it was the offer that they accepted. Because you see, the enemy told them, you can be God. You can direct your life. You can control your own life. You don't need God. And so he convinced them that, that they could take God's place, that they could usurp his authority. You see, at the very, at the very root of it, sin is a coup. It's, 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 it's rebellion. It is, it is turning against God. As we, you know, as we think about this transgender movement in our society today, when you, when you think about what the core of that really is, it's a person saying to God, God, you can't choose my identity for me. I will choose it. I set the agenda for my life. You can't choose my gender for me. That's something I will do. I set the agenda for my life. At the very essence, that's what that's saying. It's rebellion against God. And, it, and what happens with sin is it causes separation fractures the relationship just like when you get into an argument with your spouse or you get into an argument with a friend or you know a family member and then and then you're not speaking to each other what sin does is it is it causes this chasm between us and God it it breaks fellowship it 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 causes separation and a, and a chasm it fractures the relationship and so what the apostle Paul says is I deliver to you what's what is of first importance so when he says first importance, what he's saying is there's, there's no other issue greater than this one. There are a lot of issues in the world today, but none bigger than this one. And Jesus came to take care of it. He came to deal with it. And he says it 
that he, dealed with, he dealt with it this way. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So, so the message of the gospel is that God took the initiative to reconcile the relationship. He died for my rebellion. He died for our sins. He, he paid the penalty for, for our hostility. He, he really took our place. So our effort to take God's place was countered in love by God taking our place. Isn't that wild? Like sin is, I'm taking the place of God. But the gospel is God taking the place of me on the cross. And so he did it out of love. 1 John 4.10 says this, and, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And so, so you're really not a Christian because you love God. You're a Christian because he loved you. That's why. And so, and so what we don't understand is that, you know, as I'm ministering to people that haven't, that they don't have a church background, they haven't read a lot of scripture, they just, they just don't understand why Jesus had to die. Like, why, why does that even have to happen? But, um. And so I just kind of explain it like this, you know, when I sin against someone else, I create a debt between, between me and them. When I wrong them, that wrong causes a debt. Like if I burned your house down tonight, that would cause a debt between me and you. I, I would owe you something. I would owe you a new house, new furnishings, and then interest, you know, times a million basically. But uh, it would cause a huge debt. And so what we don't understand is if that's true, with us as human beings, how much more true is that with an eternal God? So when we sin against God, we, we create this eternal debt because God is eternal. But God in his love knew we couldn't pay the debt. He knew we were in over our head. And so he gave his son to pay the debt for us. So how do we know that that, death, that, that debt has been paid? Well, we know through the resurrection. The resurrection is the receipt. That payment has been made and applied and accepted. You know, in the ancient world, when you owed somebody money they, and you didn't pay, they threw you in, into jail. And you know, when you got out of jail, you know, the day that you got out of jail was the day that that debt was paid. You were sprung out. Jesus was sprung out on the third day. He walked out of that tomb because the debt was paid. Can you imagine that? And so when the enemy condemns you, when the enemy accuses you, what you need to do is say to him, devil, I have the receipt, and that receipt is the resurrection. And that's where I put my trust. That's, that's where I put all of my hope and my confidence. Can you imagine living at peace with God? No more guilt, no more shame just close with God, not hiding anything, not running from anybody, but just being at peace. That is the offer. That's the offer of the resurrection because it brings reconciliation. And then lastly, the resurrection is proof of future renewal. It's the proof that we have the greatest of futures in front of us. Paul is really clear in this passage. He says, you know, if, there, if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is not true. And so uh, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, you're, 
your faith is futile. It's, it's really worthless. And so, um, and so really, if the resurrection didn't happen, there's no reason for us to be here this morning. Can you just think about that? I mean, you should be out playing golf today. You should be shopping at the outlet malls, right? I mean, if the resurrection didn't happen, we need to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, and that's it. It's over. But notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 20. He says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let me explain that. Notice the phrase, in fact. He's saying it's a fact, it happened. Christ has been raised from the dead. And so what does that mean? The facts line up. Jesus has been raised. And what that means is that God has raised the physical body. What that means is this, Christianity is true. What it means is that God loves the body. He loves creation. He loves the earth. He loves everything he's created. He's not going to wipe it out. What he's going to do is take it and he's going to renew it and he's going to fill it with new life. He's going to raise the dead and it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to redeem our our existence and our life. He's going to lift the curse. He's going to do away with death and the devil. And there's going to be no more depression and no more cancer and no more loneliness. There's going to be no more corrupt government. No more injustice. No more poverty. No more racism. What we long for in our hearts, truth and beauty and justice and love, will reign through our great God. And what Paul says is Jesus was the first fruits. And so what that means is God is bringing in the harvest and Jesus was the first part of that harvest. And guess what's behind the first part of that harvest? All of us. We're coming right behind him. And if he raised Christ from the dead, he will raise us to new life in a new heaven and a new earth. Man, that is really good news. And so what that means is this. We need not fear the present and we need not fear the future because we know it's been secured through the resurrection of Jesus. And he has, in, he has invited us to be participants in his new heaven and new earth. That's what's coming that every part of this broken world will be mended. Everything sad will become untrue. As I think about, you know, this amazing weekend that we're celebrating, billions of people all over, all over the earth celebrating the Easter this weekend. I mean, they're, they're doing it secretly in the underground church in China. They're doing it secretly in prison cells in North Korea. They're doing it very secretly in Iran. They're doing it in South America, not so secret. They're doing it here in the United States. You know why? You know why people are celebrating the resurrection? Because it's true. Because it's true. So here's my question. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Nothing more important than that. What I received, I passed on to you. What is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. That Christ was buried, and then he rose, and he appeared, and he is alive today. Amen? Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the earth-shattering, epic good news of the resurrection. Lord, forgive us for underestimating how big of a deal this is. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. God, we just confess we fall short. We miss the mark so many ways. We don't love you like we should. We don't always say things that we should say. And we end up saying things we shouldn't say. And we end up doing things we shouldn't do. God, sin is such a huge issue. But thank you, it's not bigger than the cross. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for, for taking the initiative that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And I pray, God, for the working of the Holy Spirit today. I pray that you would bring salvation to this room, that you would bring faith, that you would bring repentance, that you would bring eternal life, that you would just, you would just give it out liberally today, God. You would break down our lies and our delusions, our defenses that just keep us from you, that you would just penetrate that and reveal your love to us. God, thank you. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. Thank you for the gospel, the proclamation. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The devil has been defeated. Truth has been victorious. So we thank you for that. I just want to give you an invitation just with every eye closed and every head bowed. Maybe today, that, you know, you came with your family because that's just what your family does on Easter. We're really glad you're here. But, but I want to give you an invitation to receive Christ today. I just want to walk you through what that would look like. It's really simple, you know, when you're, you're uncertain and you're doubting, you just, uh, you go back to the basics. You know, you go back to the ABCs. And uh, the ABCs of the gospel is this. You just admit that you need a savior you acknowledge to God that you've messed up that you need a savior you admit your need for him and then B just stands for you believe in Jesus you believe that he died for you that he died with you in mind on the cross you believe that that God raised him from the dead it's 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 faith right and then C's you just commit yourself to him you you recognize Jesus as the only leader worth following. So you commit yourself to following him. And so you admit, you believe, and you commit yourself to him. So if you're willing to take those steps today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can just pray this silently to yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I have missed the mark and fallen short of your glorious standard. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you were resurrected on the third day. You were sprung out. And I commit my life to following you as best I know how. Put your Holy Spirit in me. That I would be born again. That I would receive a brand new start from the inside through the power of the Spirit. God, come into my life. Save me. Show me your reality. And Father, for every person who's prayed this prayer, God, I just ask you would confirm their commitment, their decision today. Thank you for the gospel that says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to 
forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do that miracle working work today. We thank you and praise you. And all of God's people said, amen.